Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. Cool, man. Well, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Uh, you own a Zenify, right? Correct. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Zenify and? Uh, kind of your early beginnings and just tell me what, what you provide uh it's cloud solutions right so just tell me about it a little bit about it and uh sure kind of what, what got you into it yeah um so as far as what we provide we are experts in what they call you know digital transformation so a lot of organizations that we work with uh that are in the industry of let's say financial services like banks or health uh care services organizations be it hospitals, payers, providers, you know, they're just at um, moments in their history in the industry generally where, you know, they really need the innovation. They really need the technology to break through, you know, to engage their constituents in a better way, you know, to get a better overall experience, um, to do things like artificial intelligence and to, to sort of achieve those things. Often, um, if you're a CIO or even any C-level person, you're, you're sometimes staring at a very old stack of technology um, that you're dealing with, you know, your legacy technology. And in, some of it's on-premises, some of it might be, you know, in the cloud. And overall, you need a strategy and an overall plan to, like, you know, drive transformation to go to that, that next level so that technology is not a hindrance. It's actually a, um, it's an enabler. And so we help companies with that journey, leveraging cloud solutions like Salesforce, for example. And as far as how we got into that, you know, um, you know, cloud technology was played a big role at a former employer of mine. And I, we, we, the large implementation, and that's really like where I fell in love with it and where I sort of was like, Hey, I really want to be in this, um, technology transformation space. And we had an opportunity to work um, in a really unique experience with the nation of Haiti and partnering with the CDC and UNICEF, where we were invited to work on a challenge right after the 2010 earthquake, where they had a, a vaccine spoilage challenge and a cholera outbreak that was happening right around the same time frame. So my, me and my two founders, co-founders, uh, Nathan Mueller and Jesse Barker spent several weeks out in Haiti, um, you know, kind of diagnosing the supply chain, diagnosing the fridges, looking at the overall infrastructure to try and understand where the problems were and more importantly, what we could do to fix it. And because Salesforce had donated free licenses, you know, for 10 years, to the, to the nation to help deal with any challenges they had. We knew about that going into that um, endeavor. They donated? Donated, yeah, donated. So Salesforce, you know, 
is a big part of their model is philanthropy and they they do a lot of good you know they're not just out there uh winning business or doing that too but they're also um they donate to you know major causes when there's major outbreaks like when the fires happen here in norcal socal they played a big role in immediate response uh, they're very socially responsible so we know we knew through our relationship with salesforce that those licenses were on the table and people in Haiti really didn't know what to do with that technology, with that cloud technology. We knew it could make a huge impact. And so we basically worked with the Ministry of Health in Haiti. We had these sensors developed, these IoT sensors. Yeah. That we developed for the refrigerators so that it could monitor when the temperature went out of compliance to let the Ministry of Health workers know that the vaccines were at, at risk. So it was a project called Fridges at Talk basically, and this is back in 2013. And it was a successful project. We implemented it and we spoke on the big stage at Dreamforce and that was really our oh. start into this space. Wow. So were you always an entrepreneur or did, is this something that you kind of took on later on? Uh, oh, no, no, I, that, that project was the first time, um, you know, my employer, we actually went to our employer at the time with the concept and we said, hey, this is something that we think could be really compelling if you got behind it, you know, with your philanthropy team, you know, we'll do the work and then, you know, you'd sort of get the credit and they, they really weren't willing to fund it and support it. So we started our, our nonprofit at the time to go get the work done and solve this problem. That's what we did. And when we got the notoriety, um, the company fired us at the time, you know, so really we were fired sort of on the spot. Yeah. Uh, because you got the notoriety. Yeah, as soon as as soon as we were kind of, you know, starting to get the publicity for what we did, because it was a big deal. It was published in a medical journal. You know, we spoke at Dreamforce in 2013, um, right before Al Gore. So we, you know, we got a lot of, of press out of it and they didn't they think they liked that. And, you know, and that was it was kind of like sink or swim at that time. Either either I was going to go work for, you know, Salesforce or Google or Facebook and commute from Sacramento to the Bay to do that because work from home wasn't as as prolific as it is today as it was in 2013 it was kind of looked frowned upon it was kind of frowned upon yeah um <laughs> and so I, like yeah, that was my choice point to go work for you know one of the tech firms in the bay or um and commute and i had three kids at the time or just you know start this thing and do whatever you can and like survive kind of thing and make was it hard to start a business as you were at, you know with a family and all that like it was, um, it was really hard. You know, we had to hunker down, you know, we, I'm still in the same house that we moved into when I moved from Sunnyvale, Sacramento, still driving the same car, you know, a lot of, you know, things that you wanted to do as a family, you know, maybe take vacations or, you know, upgrade homes and these kinds of things you just put on hold. Um, you know, the, all the 401k advice you get from people to, to, you know, save and put money in your 401k. That, that takes a pause, you know, for a few years, including the education funds. So all that stuff is, you know, on the table to um, help fund the business, basically, right? Because it was completely bootstrapped. Yeah, is uh, that's that's amazing. Um, so were there any moments where it was just like really difficult, you know, getting to that level where it's like you get this notoriety, you get fired. First of all, what was that like 
it, it just alone? Like, was it, was it like, so like super tough? Did you have like hard conversations with your family because of that? Yeah, it was devastating. You know, I worked at the same company for 18 years right out of college. You know, I, I, people don't usually stay with companies that long. So I graduated from Cal Poly in, in 1996 and I went to go work for this very large, um, technology firm and was very loyal and, and spent a lot of hours, you know, on both ends of the candle for them and fighting for them. Um, it was a place that used to be known as an innovation place and they stopped innovating. And I'm an innovator by heart and by nature. And so I was constantly running into walls, basically, right, where ceilings where I just couldn't break through. Um, and that was the ultimate demise, you know, for me was was sticking true to who I was. And the company just wasn't, uh, you know, really to have a person like me anymore. You know, it was kind of like, you know, you got to go at this point. So, yeah, it was very difficult. My wife was very supportive. You know, that's the most important thing is that somebody in the house that backs you 100% sink or swim and says, you know what, if we don't do it now, we'll never do it. Let's just do it. Let's go for it. And I will sacrifice with you. And that's wow. She's a good wife. She's great. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're a lucky man. You're a lucky man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I have, I, I'm a lucky man too, so. I That's know great. Yeah. <laughs> happy wife, happy life, and you know it's uh, it's your backbone, right? Absolutely, hundred uh, percent agree. Um, so, when when was your first big breakthrough? Um, so you had this all this notoriety that sucks. Yeah. By the way, did you like working for that company, that other company, like or uh, the first you know seven years was wonderful, and then you know when a company starts doing bad. You know, it just gets miserable. At some point, layoffs happen, and I survived several layoffs. I even laid off people. You know, I never got to hire people. I only got to fire people. So it was terrible. So they, so they were like, hey, even though you haven't fired anyone, can you take this job on to, like, lay all these people off? Because Yeah, it, it, was, it was rough, you know. And um, it's just one of these aging companies that missed mobile, missed cloud, missed every major, you know, technical transformation that's happened. And, it was frustrating to, to be there. So, um, and, and then you have survivors, you know, when a company is doing a lot of layoffs, who's usually left up at the top often is survivors and survivors are people that aren't necessarily good at contributing um, and adding value, but they're great at managing up. Right. And they're great at making themselves look good. And, oh. Yeah. I mean, I knew the day that I met the VP that was going to fire me. I, I, I met him. And the first day I knew I looked in his eyes and he looked in my eyes and I knew that he didn't, there was something about me that he was not, was not rubbing him the right way. And I remember speaking in front of an audience of about 200 people and he was in that audience. And I usually make really good eye contact with him when I speak. And I remember looking right at him as I was speaking and seeing these beady eyes just looking at me like, I don't like you. And I was like, you do not like me. You are going to fire me one day. And that's exactly the guy that fired me. So, wow. wow, that's what you get. You know, it's all about leadership, isn't it? You know, it's all about good, strong leaders, you know, that you feel like are there to help you grow, help you develop. And once a company starts to fall apart, those leaders, you know, the only guys left as leaders really aren't leaders. They're just people that manage up. Yeah. Uh, man, that's, uh, that's not, uh, great to hear, but 
it, it really does come down to leadership. And I feel like leaders, the, the right leaders are leaders that provide a platform that allows you to grow inside or outside of the company. Um, a stepping stone. Is that kind of the philosophy you've taken on, you know, as you've grown your company? We have. Um, but I tell you what, it sucks to lose somebody. I lost, I'm losing one of my, you know, great people here. Um, they got a great opportunity and I'm so happy for him. But at the same time, I'm heartbroken. You know, I want him to stay with us. And for him, it was the hardest decision he said he's ever had to make in his life, in his career. But you know what? Um, I'm glad we were part of his journey. You know what I mean? And I'm glad that like we helped him get that opportunity ultimately because our brand is strong now and he's had a great experience with us. So, so I, I do agree with you that, you know, it's all about helping people grow. And it's hard though. It is hard though. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. Finding, it's so hard finding good talent, you know? It's true. Yeah. But not only good talent, but good talent that's also loyal and also, yeah. uh, you know, give you their heart, you know, yeah. that's, hard. that's hard to find. <laughs> and, and the technology industry right now is so hot, you know, it's like uh, the job market in the space is crazy. So we're, we're developing our own talent really, you know, and it's something that I'm really enjoying doing, but you know, a lot of them are, you know, they're younger, they're millennials. I don't know if they stay with the companies. They don't do what I do, stay with a company for 18 years, let alone eight years. So, you know, they jump around a little bit more and uh, we're just going to have to, we're just going to have to learn to live with some of that. You know, I think it's just going to be part of the growing process for us. It's more of a stepping stone. Most companies are stepping stones for most people. It seems like it. It seems like a few days, but. This, and, and the job market these days is so competitive. Yeah. You know, it's, they, so many people have so many options. You know, the benefits, the benefits are great. You know, they're, it's amazing. People are looking at pet care, you know, um, the, the paternity, the maternity leave and all those things, you know, and they're and you know, what's nice is that they, when you're an employer who cares about your people and their families, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to offer those benefits because those are important things. Um, but they definitely make the cost of business higher. That's the reality, right? Is like when you have those kinds of benefits, that you're offering people um, and those kinds of, of competitive salaries and such it definitely makes, you know, like what we, what we do is valuable, but now what I have to charge for it. You know what I mean? Like I've got to be able to cover those costs. And earlier you asked me like, what are some of the big challenges, you know, that I've faced? And, you know, one of the biggest ones is just is cash flow. When you're bootstrapped, cash flow is like constantly on your mind. You know, when you're employing, 60, 70 people and you've got, you know, those expenses. Are you bootstrap? You haven't had any investors? We just received our first round of investment in October of this okay. past year. So we, we were strapped for five years, five and a half years. Wow. Yeah. It was a constant struggle. It was a, yeah, it was a constant battle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, trying to grow and then, you know, manage that cash, make sure we're not, you know, spending too much on different things and, yeah, you learn a lot. I've got a financial background, luckily. So, you know, that's very helpful. You know, it's my advice to people who are starting businesses. If you don't have a financial background, um, you know, it's one of those skills that I don't think you can live without it. I can't, you know, people say, well, I'm not that good with numbers. I was like, you better get good with numbers. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of important, you know, learn the basics. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so then how did you scale out your sales process? Because you started getting this notoriety, you had somewhat of a brand, but it was just you, right? And a partner? It was me, my business partner. Uh, I had two business partners. You know, one of them was more operational. Uh, Nathan Mueller, who, he, he was, he's more strategic, um, but also has great salesmanship. So he, he's great at finding opportunities and he found opportunities for us that really keep during our, our life cycle, our journey. So when we, we jumped into healthcare initially, um, but we were a bit early for healthcare. Healthcare five years ago, six years ago, really wasn't ready for transformation. Yet our, you know, our whole start as a company was in healthcare. And so we thought, wow, look, this is amazing. Let's go jump in. And so we were dealing with bureaucracy and, you know, there's a lot of regulation. There's a lot of layers of things you got to go through to get things done in healthcare. And we just, we didn't have the, the bandwidth or the money to do that, to survive those deal cycles. So we, Nathan really helped us pivot to a different industries like financial services that there's, sure, there's regulation, but those guys are in the business of making money. They're not in the business of saving lives. So it's a bit easier to work within financial services to actually, you know, win deals and win projects and help those guys transform versus healthcare. You can make an argument that a lot of uh, healthcare companies don't aren't in the business of saving lives. <laughs> They're in the business of making money too. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, they probably wouldn't say it that way. Um, but I definitely. <laughs> Definitely, there's, there's just, there's more, you know what it is I find in healthcare, there's a little bit more resistance to change. Um, maybe there's a bit more at stake, you know, everything's about data. And so when you think about like healthcare data or health data, like medical records, compared to let's say banking records, they're both very vital. They're both very important. They're both very locked down and secure. But what you do with that banking data and how you leverage it to go and make more money, for example, it's just a different mentality and the, the amount of red tape around is not as, as uh, robust as on the healthcare side where it's, there's just more regulation, there's more lawsuits and risks and these kinds of things and it naturally creates a more conservative mindset towards digital transformation, but it, even that is changing. I think it's hitting a, a tipping, starting to hit a tipping point and I think that that industry is going to definitely flow. And you see Amazon and different, you know, some of the big tech companies starting to jump in. And that those are all good signs that like people are, you know, people are kind of saying, Hey, look, we just can't keep doing things this way. I mean, look at this, this, uh, this coronavirus thing. I mean, people are dying to get their hands on data, right. And just see the data, where are the cases, what's going on, you know, which uh, antiviral things are going to help in which case, and I guarantee you, they don't have the infrastructure to do that, but they should, you know, cause it would probably make this whole thing a lot more streamlined. Interesting. It's funny how some people have insights as, uh, in, into how to solve some of these issues, but it's just, it's just a matter of getting, getting those insights in the right hands. Right. Absolutely. It goes back to some of it goes back to what you just said though. It's like even healthcare has to make money. And so, something that should be universally available to everybody would be like this database, right? That everybody should share yeah. because it's, it affects all of our, our lives, our livelihood. Right. But it's, it's, you can't do it because somebody has to pay for that and somebody has to own that data. 
somebody has to own that database. And so there's money at stake and therefore it makes it more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate that it is what it is. It is what it is. But that's why we went in in Haiti. It was so, it wasn't easy necessarily, but we didn't have all that red tape and bureaucracy. It's a third world country. They will take anybody's help that is willing to help. They, there isn't a lot of money, right? And so, you know, someone's offering free Salesforce licenses and an organization like us is willing to go in and make things happen and help them save lives. They will take your help. Right. They will help you know, and there won't be so a lot Salesforce of will fund that will fund you going into in there. And then um, they didn't fund us going in, but they funded the licenses. So the licenses are pretty expensive, you know, at the end of the day. I mean, it's probably a million dollars in licenses. Right. And then our work was pro bono, basically. Right. We, wow. we did it as a nonprofit. Um, wow. Yeah. So but it was it was uh, important to us and it was something that we were excited about and passionate about. Um, wow. Um, how many employees do you currently have right now? So you're at like around 60 to 80? No, no, we're at about 105 now. Um, 105. Wow. Yeah, yeah we've been gro growing. You know, our, our business has been growing about 100% year on year. You know, you, uh, your, your business, uh, did you start growing faster when you had the cash infusion? Or, yes. Or um, yes, the cash helped a lot. I would say that we were already growing pretty fast before that, but we had hit a point of inflection where to get to the next level, you know what I mean? We really, we needed the money to, to just, you know what it is? It's like at some point you, you have to take more risk. And when you're going to take more risk, you need the funding, right? Because you need to be able to make a bet. Let's say you're betting on a person, you know, let's say a person becomes available to you. That's a talented person, you know, and the person comes with a, with a hefty price tag kind of thing. You don't want to sit there and like spend days upon days you know, agonizing on whether you can pay this person and bring them on. You know what I mean? When you have the funding, you just go, right? You just make it happen. Like, okay, let's get the person. Time is money. Let's not waste any more time. Um, so I've been able to make decisions over the last three months with a lot more confidence, knowing that I have this backing. You know what I mean? Knowing that it's not my 401k that's going to back the business. You know what I mean? It's not my house. Like my house was the only piece of collateral, you know, as an asset available to get loans for many, many years. And anybody that Zillowed my house would be like, yeah, man, like the house is not all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's great that we can get your house if you default, but you know, that isn't exactly that exciting for us. Um, so it, it's nice to have the backing. So you have the confidence, you know, it's that, you know, that emotional confidence to be able to make those moves, um, especially as a finance guy, you know, financial, you're a little bit more conservative. And, you know, the last thing you ever want to do is lay people off, which we, you know, we've never done layoffs and I don't want to do that. You know, it's important to keep growing and, and continue to get people opportunities. What was, so how long have you been in business now? First, six years. Six years. So your first, so your first year in business, was that, was that really rocky? Were you trying to figure out how to make sales? Yeah, it was rocky. Um, we, we even had, um, we had two different lawsuits that, you know, helped fund some of those, some of those first early years, you know, like where things, you know, you know what it happens is you, you get, sometimes you get caught up by shiny objects when you're starting a company. So when a big logo shows up, you know, like let's say a big retailer 
a big logo and you're like, wow, it'd be awesome to win that company. And all of a sudden that opportunity um, in front of you and you jump at that opportunity because you think that, wow, working with this big company and this big logo is going to be amazing. Right. And in this case, we had built a, you know, awesome in-store digital app for this company and they loved it, loved it so much that they kept it in their innovation warehouse. It was an integrated hardware, software kiosk kind of thing. And so interestingly enough, you know, they said, well, we'd love to hang on to it for, you know, a few more weeks because we just want to show other executives. We were like, okay, that's awesome. All of a sudden, three weeks became six weeks, six weeks became 12 weeks. And we were like, what's going on here? You know? And we had built tracking into the device so that we knew if somebody like used it and logged in, it told us. I had, I had intelligence built in. And one day we called them up and we were like, hey, so what's going on with this project? And like, well, we presented it to the board. The board loved it. We want to hang on to it for a few more weeks. We were like, okay, all right. So now we're going, you know, we're in about 65 grand, 70 grand, this thing. Turns out, you know, a competitor, the person, when I did my research on the person, person that logged in, it was a competitor. It was eBay digital. And I'm doing research on this person. And I'm like, that's the competition. The comp and we have an NDA in place, right? With this company. So um, it's crazy. And then I, I fly to the city where this company is and I go into their main retail store where they do their innovation, you know, and there's our product you know, in the store, tweaked a little bit, but there it is. And we're like, holy cow, they've just totally ripped off our stuff. And, you know, I wasn't, we weren't going to do anything about it, but I had an attorney and he was like, you know what? I think you have something here because you have the NDA. It's pretty foolproof. You know, you got to go after these guys. And we did, you know, and those are the types of things that like, you know, at the end of the day, was it the best experience? No, but you know, they settled. And that paid for one more year's salary, you know, those are, those are startup stories that like, you know, you have that those are the scars we have of like getting to where we were. You so you, how are you paying salaries like year one though? Cause year one, you're not, we weren't, um, we weren't year one. You know, we, we, um, we had the altercation with my former employer that, that paid for some of that year. We, we did side consulting gigs, you know, being, in the tech industry for 18 years, you can be of strong value to, you know, other people that know me, that know me well, where I have a good reputation. So they were able to, you know, both Nathan and I. Yeah, 18 years. So you, this isn't like a seven year business. This is really like a 22 year business. Something you spent like 18 years in business or in, yeah. in uh, working for another company. Uh, and so really it's, this is like a 22 year old business. Yeah, absolutely. It's never too late to jump in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, never, yeah. never too late. You know? uh, did you like the transition from uh, corporate world to uh, entrepreneurship? I loved it. I felt like I was already kind of operating like that in my last few years at the larger company. So for me, it came very natural, you know, like it was, it was very seamless. I didn't have a, um, a challenge adjusting at all. Got it. You didn't have a challenge at all. No, no, not at all. I feel like people in the corporate field, they, they're not versed in like how to operate as an entrepreneur. It's just much different, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I, I would agree. I, I would I think, culture shock for sure. 
it's the innovation. You know, I think what, what makes it more seamless for people is that there's a central theme. You know, it's kind of like there's a central driving force. So if your driving force is innovation, you're at a big company or a midsize, and then you go start your own, you always have a driving force behind you that propels you, that fuels you. Now, do you know business? Well, that's, you better either bring in a CFO or somebody that knows the numbers or somebody that knows how to do these other things, you know, to be like multi-hat. Um, that's the ones I think will survive and make it, you know, it's like the innovation's the key. It's the, it's the, the DNA, but then you got to have a few people with the know-how, you know what I mean? Like that. And you got to hire them at key points in time, you know? So like, I just, we just appointed our first executive to the C level, um, just a couple months ago. And, um, what was that like? What's that like? Oh, it was amazing. Um, it, it, we hired a COO, Tammy Miller, and she was already with us for five, for four of the five years before. And so she was a key person in the construction of this company and she deserves this opportunity you know she just works her butt off she's so smart she's so talented and so we gave her this opportunity but we needed somebody like her all along from you know from the beginning right we hired her about one year in and then you know these people play a key role in your ability to grow and succeed and scale and we have several leaders like that that we brought in uh, we brought a sales leader in Kara Lawhorn uh, two years ago same thing we didn't really know how to build a sales team and you know, really do true sales execution. And so we brought her in and she's been transformative for us as well. You know, and so these are important people, important leaders that you bring on at key times and they really like help you get to those next levels of execution. COO, that's great. Congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you. We'll be yeah. it like kind of formally to the press um, in a few weeks here because it's, it's a big deal. 73% of my directors and above are women. So we have, we have very strong female leaders at our company. So we're really proud of that. It's not something that we did or engineered. It's something that's been organic from the very beginning. And so it's super exciting to see somebody like that get an opportunity at the C-level. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I love, I love personally working with females too. Not every entrepreneur thinks the same, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. It's a good uh, balance, you know, it's a great balance we have. Um, and, you know, we, the, the, the best part is we work great together as a team, you know, as a leadership team. And we're starting to, you know, really find each other now. Because that, that circle that you have, that leadership group, is really important, you know. And throughout this whole thing, it's because you've got, let's say you get over 100 people, but really the leadership team's got to be in sync, in lockstep with each other, you know, the whole way. I agree. Um, what do you feel uh, is quality? What are qualities you look for in uh, key employees? What are what are qualities you look for? Uh, is it loyalty? Is it heart? Is it uh, kindness? What or is it intelligence? Yeah. Like, what are the things? I think passion is really key. Um, passion is probably you know first and foremost that they they want to be here. This is the role that they want. I want people when they come to identify. It's like you know, you're ready to work some of the best years of your life because, you know, you're getting this opportunity that you really, really want, that you're passionate about and affirm that you're passionate about. Um, and then beyond that, you know, it's the, um, obviously it's the talent from the standpoint of like, 
that specific job that they're going to go do. They have those skills, you know, they have that ability, whether it's a technical job or whether it's another domain. And then lastly, it's the, it's the character, you know, the, which is a combination of integrity, authenticity. You know, I want people that are going to be real. You spend a lot of time at work, you know, you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I don't want someone that has to, you know, put on a different version of themselves when they come in every day or talk to clients. You know, I want you to be you. You know, I want you to feel like you could be you. Um, I want you to feel like you're at a company that respects you as you and embraces you as you and that you'll um, be able to be comfortable in your own skin at a place like this and that we as a company can be authentic overall. You know, it's one of our four top values to be authentic. I love it. I love it. So, um, man, so let, let me speak from the, uh, the uh, voice of a, a, an entrepreneur that's just starting out. Okay. 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 So, you know, a lot of people here are, their, their goal is scaling, but let, let's speak. We have a different eclectic audience, right? So we have, you know, startup entrepreneurs, we have very established entrepreneurs, we have investors that listen to this podcast. Um, and so from, from an, from like a seed company, like a pre-seed company, let's talk, let's, let's talk to directly to them. Sure. So from a pre-seed company, they see where you are now and they're like, wow, you know, he's reached, he's attained the level that. I can't even imagine, right? 105 employees. And to you, that probably seems small to you, right? Uh, I'm, you know. Yeah. When my, comp when my competition in some cases is 100,000 plus employees and they're in the billions, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but, but from, so to, they may seem huge to you, to you, right? Uh, but, but some of the pre-seed companies, you seem huge to them. So yeah. how, how would you, uh, what would you tell them regarding scaling and building a company? Uh, you know, what, what in, uh, knowledge would you impart upon them that would really help them get to an, uh, the next stage? Yeah, it's a great question. I think number one, first and foremost, have a vision, yeah. a vision, a vision that, you know, is built to last, that there's a timeless element to it, right? Because everything with the vision you know, boils down to like, what is it that the firm, who is the firm trying to be, you know, at the end of the day, like, what are you striving for? Um, and then it's important to take a little bit of time to assess the values of the company, values of yourself as a leader. What are those things that are most important to you that no matter how big you get, no matter what challenge you hit, these things are not going to change. Like it is not going to change the DNA of your company. That's a really important building block. Um, for the firm. The second thing I'd say is, you know, really take the time to find the right talent, you know, at the right time. You know, I mentioned earlier that it's important to know the numbers. So either, you know, some things you got to learn yourself and just pick up, or maybe you need to bring somebody in if you're not comfortable with the financials. The sooner you can get somebody that understands the financials inside the firm, uh, the better. And that doesn't just apply to financials, but even those other key domains. You know, what about what about the people that they're not even making uh, a good amount of money? Like, where, where do they start from from there if they're at that point? Even, even at that phase, you know, in order for you to convince someone to give you money, you know, or for you to know where you're going, yeah. that you can get that money, you have to be able to extrapolate and model that data. You know, you got to be able to build those Excel models and build those business plans. 
um, and to have targets, you know, as far as where you're going. So I would still say you need, you need those skills um, or somebody has to have those skills within the organization. Um, so, so finding that talent is, is really, really important. And then lastly, it's being able to be flexible and pivot as a startup, you have the utmost flexibility because you, you're early in the game, you can afford to make a mistake, you can afford to be wrong, maybe, you know, and it's not, it's not a terrible thing if you had to pivot. We started in healthcare and then we pivoted to financial services, right? Um, but the, in it, the vision didn't change. The vision applied to both. And that was why it was able to work, right? The foundation of the firm, the vision of the firm didn't change, but the industry that we aligned to changed. We made a pivot. So it's important to be able to, to do that. Now you can't be scatterbrained and like try 80 things. You know what I mean? You got to have some focus, but if it's not working, don't wait forever to, you know, make the decision to go a different direction, right? It's, it's not a tragic thing. It's not a failure. Yeah. Interesting. Um, why do you feel like a lot of entrepreneurs fail? Like this nine out of 10 entrepreneurs, do you, do you even believe in that stat? I don't even know if I believe in that nine out of 10 entrepreneurs. Uh, I, I, I think I believe in it. I think it, I think people, um, you know, I, I think that the people that start these things, you know, I, I worry that maybe they don't have the right inspiration from the beginning. They don't have the right vision. They just wanted to make money. You know what I mean? And nothing wrong with making money. But when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build a firm, you know, it, it's going to take a lot more than the desire to earn money. Don't do it for the money because then, you know, it doesn't come until you, you know. It, exactly. You yeah. got to be able to withstand the trials and tribulations. And so I think people panic when the money's not there and money's not coming. Especially you mentioned people that come from, let's say, a corporate environment that are used to, you know, being get a paid W-2 salary and you're used to that salary still coming. And then when you're an entrepreneur, it's like, man, it's on you. If that cash flow dries up and you can't stand that, you know, even if let's say you have money saved up, but you can't handle that, you know, that money that you're going down that nest egg, you've got to be able to, you know, withstand that, right? Did you ever make cold calls? When, when I did. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, all the time. Like every day. <laughs> oh, every day. And you know what sucks is that when you, especially when you use like a LinkedIn or and people just see your name and they don't see who you are as a person. I think that like sometimes people think I was like a telemarketer or, or I was email marketing them from like India or something as part of one of these like campaigns. Yeah. So I think I like, or not just India, but any, you know, you see a foreign name, right? And it's like, <laughs> you're probably not even here, right? You're probably over there. Um, I literally sometimes used to have my business partner, Nathan Mueller. I'm like, why don't you email him? Because I think you're going to get a better response than me. And wow, it, it, it was what it was, right? I mean, it's just, it's the reality, you know, and I, I'm not offended by it. So you know, we got to do what we got to do, right? And make it happen. You know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. So have you closed big deals off of cold calls? Um, we have not. Yeah. I mean, cold is really, really tough. 
um, you know, you've got to have some relevancy and connectivity to the person on the other side. Um, you know, I've, I've had some success off of LinkedIn and off of like running campaigns where um, going through, let's say, like a, a business journal that has got a subscription list. So at least there's some relevancy it's coming from a familiar source, you know, a trusted source. So um, that's been better and that those things typically cost money, you know, like it costs uh, LinkedIn. You have subscriptions. But if you have nothing else, make cold calls. That's what you believe. Ooh, yeah, it's not the best strategy, though. Um, I would I would much rather get into networks and mixers and find a way to find out where your target customers are, you know, where if you're trying to go local and find where they're locally meeting, you know, if, if yeah. they're national, then find out what circles they're in, what, what groups are they connected to in LinkedIn, you know, how do you penetrate more of the affinity side of it versus just coming in cold, you know, you got to have that relevancy, something to connect the two people together. The relevancy. So can you break that down just a little bit more? So just to, so when you mean relevancy, you mean, there's some type of connection to somebody in your network or uh, either something in your network or maybe it's something within the industry, right? Maybe you know that, you know, the people that you're targeting are people that, for example, are, you know, ex uh, exploring a digital transformation and you have an idea yeah. that, you know, they're, they're looking for that. And if, if I can find a way to connect to that by sounding like somebody that is a voice of authority or a voice of confidence, then I have a better shot. Um, how, what, is your, what is the size of your sales team right now? Um, we are currently at six going to 12. 12. Yeah. Okay. Doubling um, in size, basically. Yeah, so right now we're hiring a base uh, in commission. Is that how you guys work? Yeah, the same, base commission, absolutely. I've had some great, really great commission-only sales reps, though. Yeah, I mean, those are great for us, right? Because you don't have the risk, and, you know, um, their their upside is, is really great. But, again, you, you get the upside, too. But I mean, I feel like salespeople don't get, like, enough respect in society. Like, it's so hard to be a salesperson. Oh, my God. I think it's one of the hardest jobs. It's, it, it's brutal. It's, and then you have, at our company, our sales team, it's, it's one of the hardest jobs. They travel the most, you know, yeah. the road a lot. Um, and you know what, I think what's hard on salespeople, it's the relentless nature of it. It's like you sell, 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 you hit a milestone, you maybe hit your number, you do great. And then it starts all over again. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's almost like, okay, when do I, you know, maybe you get that like little few weeks of reward when you hit your numbers, but then it just, it feels just relentless. Like it just can't like, if you're a growing company like us, it's like, okay, great job. You did that. And then next year, let's tack on 30% growth. And then you're going, wow. Okay. What I did last year was, was great, but you're saying it wasn't great enough because now you're telling me to sell more. So it, it's, it's tough for sure. You got to enjoy it, you know, but they can make a lot of money. I will tell you that salespeople have that upside opportunity. And I think that's what drives some salespeople. Yeah. Do you feel like you could have just been a salesperson and not an entrepreneur and just been like much better off? <laughs> sometimes? Uh, you know, I don't know if I can, if I'd be able to handle the, let's say that you had a 30% close rate. Okay. 
I don't know if I'd be able to emotionally withstand the 70% of the deals not going through. You know what I mean? Because you got to have some thick skin. Very thick skin. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I think I could, but it, I would prefer to be more of a person that is on the leadership side, on the operator side, that's building the broader business, you know? Yeah, I had so much experience in those 18 years doing so many different things that I understand so many parts of the value chain. Yeah, that, that it's almost like I'd really be not using a good percentage of what I know, right? You know, like the financials, for example, yeah. some of the other things. And um, sure, what, what are your definitely like this seat better? What do you what are your salespeople doing now to, to generate leads? They're, are they just are they? doing kind of what you talked about networking and yeah, they're doing, they're definitely doing, it's definitely a network based sale. They, there's a relationship that they've established with, um, you know, certain organizations and those organizations are bringing leads, you know, through that process. And then also we have that, you know, that old saying, there's no better customer than an existing customer. Um, so in our industry, technology innovation doesn't stop with you know one project one year you know what i mean they're typically three five year journeys and our sales reps have the opportunity to work with those clients on an ongoing basis you know what i mean to move to the phase two or the phase three of that transformation and that journey um, so that's also a, a great opportunity for them to continue to make money yeah, totally, totally. Cool, man. Well, if somebody's listening to this podcast and wants to get a hold of you in some way, how would they do so? Um, they can email me um, as a start. I'm at manbeer, M-A-N as in Nancy, V as in Victor, I-R, at zenify.com. Zenify is Z-E-N-N-I-F-Y.com. Um, my last name is Sandu, S-A-N-D-H-U, and the CEO is NFI, so you can always find me via LinkedIn, too. Great, man. Um, so just, just really quick, what's your value proposition to companies uh, who potentially want, to financial companies who potentially want uh, cloud services? Um, you know, our value proposition is that we are going to help the technology work for you. So it's not just about, you know, buying and integrating technology, but it's all about how do we design, build, implement, optimize that technology to help you make more money, right? To help you move to the next level. It's so disruptive out there right now with FinTech and new companies popping up every day, different ways to do banking, different currencies, you know, different ways to do mortgage. And if you're a firm that has been doing things a certain way for a long time and you're finding that your industry is getting disrupted, and that you're worried about a new generation of buyers and members that want to bank in a different way or lend money in a different way, leveraging technology, then now is the time. Right? Got it. Switch that journey on. Cool, brother. Thanks a lot.